0: Father, we say with the words of that uh, chorus, I will trust in you. Lord, the problems, the anxieties of life, we trust in you. We look to the words of the scripture, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Lord, we rest in the words of the Psalms, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be shaken but abides forever. And so, Father, collectively, uh, as a church and also individually, uh, we say again, we trust in you. We will trust in you. Help us to trust in you for this life uh, and even more importantly, Lord, for the next. As we look into the land of promise, Lord, tomorrow is not guaranteed for any one of us. And Lord, as we finish this race. May we finish it strong. May we fight the good fight of faith and trust in you for our eternity. For you are the God of hope. You're the God of resurrection. And we thank you today for all of your promises, which are true. And amen in Christ Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, uh, for all of your blessings this morning. And, uh, and, uh, uh, behind the supporting cast uh, was our uh, lead today, a uh, brother and two sisters, the Shire family. Uh, put your hands together and say thank you to the Shire family. Thank you. I know that if uh, I led worship with my brother and sister, you would not be blessed like that. I'm just saying. Uh, by the way, they might be watching right now. Happy Thanksgiving to my brother and to my sister. Other- One on the West Coast, one on the East Coast, we greet you. We also greet all those who are welcome uh, joining us live via simulcast, including our campus in Bel Air. Uh, Put your hands together and welcome all of them. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We do thank you for coming today. uh, Genesis chapter 46 and 47 is where we're at, Uh, and if you're brand new with us uh, on this Thanksgiving weekend, uh, as a church, we've been working through the the book of Genesis uh, with A gospel lens. Uh, We we are looking at uh, Genesis through the lens of the gospel uh, and looking at it through the lens of the true and better Jesus. Uh, Jesus, uh, the true and better Adam, the true and better word, uh, the true and better ark, the true and better Noah, all the way through Genesis we've been looking. And we come today uh, to chapter 46 and 47 looking at it through the lens of Jesus, the true and better land of promise. Chapter 46 uh, follows 45. chapter 45. That's right. <laughs> See, you guys are good. I, I actually, I just heard this Thanksgiving that, um, uh, that in the course of conversation, um, uh, if, if there's a pregnant pause in the course of the conversation, four seconds is the key. So that if there's a four-second lapse, you start to get nervous, right? Okay, so there we go, follows chapter 45. The main characters in chapter 46 and 47 are a dad, his 11 sons, one son back in Egypt, and also Pharaoh, who's the ruler of the earth. Uh, The dad is Jacob, the 11 sons uh, are in order from Reuben, Simeon, Levi, all the way down to Benjamin. Uh, Joseph is his son back in Egypt still, and of course, Pharaoh being the the king, and the ruler uh, of the known earth. But chapter 46 begins after uh, a very, awkward conversation that must have occurred between the 11 sons who just returned from Egypt and their dad. Did anybody here have an awkward family conversation at Thanksgiving? Imagine the conversation that would have occurred when the 11 sons had to fess up to their dad that they lied to him 22 years earlier. And not only lied, it was a, it was a grievous offense. They lied to him about his son, Joseph, uh, but they also then covered it up for 22 years. They covered up this massive offense. again. How many would say, just raise your hands, that's an awkward conversation to have with your dad? Okay, very awkward conversation. I once tried to hide something from my dad for 22 minutes, and it just like ate at my soul. It was uh, terrible as a teenager. You know, when you try to hide something from dad and then cover it up, man, 22 minutes is all it takes. But 22 years... This is an awkward conversation. Chapter forty-six follows that awkward conversation, uh, as Joseph, or as Jacob, rather, the dad, hears news that his son, who was dead, is actually alive. More than that, he's not only alive; he also sits at the right hand of power, at, uh, at the side of Pharaoh, and he rules really the entire known world under his authority. And it points us to the true and better Jesus, who indeed is the true and better ruler of the earth, who sits at the right hand of the Father. All of this points to Christ when we look at it through the gospel lens. When Jacob hears news of Joseph, and not only news that Joseph is still alive, but also news that the famine, which has hit the land of Canaan, in fact, it's hit the entire world, the famine will last another five years, it motivates them to migrate to Egypt. The question would be this. If a famine hit Michigan and you had to pick some place to live because Michigan became uninhabitable, where would you go? Some of you would go to Colorado. Some would go to Texas. Some would go to Michigan. Nobody would go to Ohio. <laughs> right? Right? and for sure you wouldn't go to Columbus, right? Thank you. So Egypt is to Israel what Columbus is to Michigan fans. You need to understand this. Egypt is not the place to go if you're from Israel. It's always synonymous in the scripture with trouble, bondage, slavery, And Jacob knows this, Uh, Jacob knows this very well, that Egypt is not, uh, it it doesn't have a good track record with his family. His grandpa, his name was Abraham, uh, had a famine in his day, it was 200 plus years before uh, Jacob, before this moment. His father, or his grandfather Abraham, went to Egypt and it was just devastating consequences as he came back with a handmaiden named Hagar. Hagar. His dad, Isaac, had a famine in his day, and he was clearly warned in Genesis 26 by God, do not go down to Egypt. So here you have Jacob, and now in a quandary, his grandpa went to Egypt during a famine with terrible consequences. His dad, Isaac, was warned not to go to Egypt during a famine, and now he is sitting here in a famine that's going to last for five more years, plus his son lives in Egypt, and he needs to know what to do. He needs a clear word from the Lord. And so Jacob packs up his 66 family members. This is quite a road trip. Imagine that with 66 family members. Uh, he loads them all on the wagons that his family, that his, brother, his sons, rather, had brought back from Egypt, and they begin in verse 1, This refugees begin to load up and head south. Uh, they begin to head towards Egypt. They stop on the way at Beersheba. That's verse 1. They stop at Beersheba, and everybody should read that and say, wow, that's amazing. But instead, we read it, and we're like, oh, what's that? Well, Beersheba, think of it like a family cottage, although there's no cottage uh, in that day, but it's rich with significance in his family history. This is where Abraham, his grandpa, his granddaddy, had gone, and he had worshiped the Lord in Beersheba, and as he worshiped the Lord and called on Almighty God, it says that Abraham, it's the only place in Scripture that Abraham planted anything, he planted in Beersheba a tamarisk tree. Everybody say, what's a tamarisk tree? I'm glad you care about this stuff. This is awesome. So, Because this is where Jacob is. He goes to Beersheba. and, and, And this is like 215 years after his granddaddy had planted this tree. A tamarisk tree is planted in Israel, and it takes 400 years to grow to full maturity. And it's planted in any generation as a living testimony to future generations of something that God had done it is a testimonial tree my parents nearing 50 years of anniversary have a magnolia tree in their yard that was planted on their 25th anniversary that magnolia tree is beautiful and it flowers in every year now for almost 25 years it's a reminder of a significant life event And so now you have Jacob who who is journeying towards Egypt. He needs a clear word from the Lord. And as he pulls up the wagons with 66 family members in a very dysfunctional family unit at Thanksgiving time, they pull the wagons underneath a half-grown tamarisk tree. It is over 200 years old. It has 200 more years to grow to full maturity. And they pull up under the shade of this tree, which is a testimony to what God told his granddaddy. What is it that God told his granddaddy? It was a covenant. The God of the heavens and the earth made a covenant with a man, a childless man. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you children like the stars of the heavens. And don't miss this part of the blessing. I am going to bless the nations through you. This was a covenant. And this is why Abraham planted a tree. I'm going to bless you with children and inheritance of children that outnumbers the stars of the heavens. I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to cause the entire nations to be blessed through you. And here is Jacob pulling up the wagons with 66 of his family members, and the Lord speaks to Jacob. Look at verse 1 through 4. He gives him some great and precious promises. Here it is. Now we're on the scene under this tamarisk tree. So Israel, that's the name of Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to, where? There it is, Beersheba, where his granddaddy had called on the Lord and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Jacob or Israel in visions of the night. This is a dream that comes to him, that God speaks a very clear message. And he says, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, here it is. I am God, The God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. Here's the great and the very precious promises of God. It is grounded in his character. Notice the very first thing that the Lord says. He says, I am what? God. I am God. Listen, there is one God, the God of heavens and the God of earth. And when he makes his glory known and when he gives his promises, when he delivers his promises, his promises are grounded in his character. What is his character? He is a God that is faithful to his word, and all things are possible with him. In fact, all things are possible except for one thing, Hebrews chapter 6 says, all things are possible except this. It is impossible for God to 4 second pregnant pause there we go lie. to lie I am God Do you know how comforting that is To know that the promises he delivers to granddaddy and to daddy and now to himself is grounded in his character and it is impossible for God to lie The promises he gives are true Not only is it grounded in his character it's God gives us great promises that Jacob will be guided by his presence. He says, do not be afraid. It's it's the great biblical recipe for fear and anxiety. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I, what is it? I will be with you. The, The great biblical recipe for fear and anxiety is this. I will not be afraid for God is with me. God is with me. I will not fear, for God is with me. So here we have the great precious promises of God that is grounded in his character. It's guided by his presence, and it guarantees a future. The Lord is comforting Jacob. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will be with you. My presence will be with you. And not only will I go with you to Egypt, I will make you into a great nation down there. And then... Go ahead, look at it. I, this is a little cheat sheet, verse 4. I will bring you back again. It is a hint at the land of promise. It's a hint at the return. It's a hint at the second coming. That there is a return that the Lord will one day, that after a season of hardship and trial in a very foreign land where you are a foreigner in exile and a stranger. The Lord himself in his presence will draw you out and will bring you back to the land of promise. Now let me bring context to this. Jacob is 130 years old. He's an old man. And he receives the promises of God at 130 years old. Just sim- stop, think about that. It is never Too late to hear a word from the Lord and receive his promises. It's never too late. Let me frame this promise in the context of history. 250 years earlier, God had spoke to his grandpa, Abraham promising them land and kids and that God would bless the nations through him. Abraham plants a tree as a testimony to future generations that God had made a covenant and that God would be faithful. That covenant was passed to his son who was eventually born, Isaac. Isaac then had two sons. They were twins, Jacob and Esau. And God chose Jacob before they were even born so that his glory would be made known through the younger, not the elder. And then Jacob, here he is now, 215 years after the promise was given to his grandpa Abraham after 130 years Jacob had done a lot of evil hadn't he? Deception lack of faith family dysfunction 12 sons from 4 different women how many would say that's a little bit awkward and yet here he is beneath the testimony tree and the promises of God have remained unchanged. Unchanged by time, unchanged by circumstance, unchanged even by Jacob's own decisions. The promises of God are true. And 2 Timothy will say this, that if we are faithless, God will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Isn't that good? How comforting this must have been for Jacob. Those three promises still reassure God's people. These promises delivered to Jacob still reassure God's people that when God makes a promise, it is grounded in his character, that we are guided by his presence, so we need not fear, and that we have a guarantee of a future, that after a season of hardship in a foreign land, that the God of the universe will draw his people out and bring them back to the land of promise. This is the biblical narrative. Chapter 46 then goes on to list very lengthy uh, process of listing these sixty-six refugees, and, and and the Lord is beginning to answer His uh, uh, His promise. Remember, He had promised childless Abraham a multitude of descendants, and He only had one, Isaac. Isaac had two sons. That's it: Jacob and Esau. Now Jacob has. 66 descendants and there will be it's called 70 70 descendants will be alive in egypt as he travels but the lord is beginning to answer his promise of a multitude of descendants these descendants these 66 refugees arrive in egypt and waiting in egypt is his son joseph who he has not seen for 22 years Some of you as parents who have not seen your kids for that long and maybe the Lord blesses you with a reunion of a child, you know how emotional that this reunion must have been, right? How emotional would it be for a dad to reunite with his boy? This is a family reunion for the ages. Look at this interaction between dad and boy. Here it is, verse twenty-eight. He had sent Judah ahead of him, fourth son, to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came in the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck. (laughs) What was this? It a pretty good while. It's like four seconds like a long time. Israel said to Joseph, right, right here, this, this is an I can now die moment. I can now die. Joseph's, Israel says to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and I know that you are still alive. What is that one thing that if it happened to you, you would be like, man, I can die now. I can die now. What is it? For Israel, for Jacob, it was to see his boy again. And he meets him, and they weep, and they hug. It was an embrace of a lifetime. And his daddy says, I can die now. <laughs> I've seen my boy. And isn't that a picture of a heavenly reunion that awaits us with our loved ones who have passed, isn't it? When daddies and daughters are reunited, when mothers And sons are reunited. Isn't that a picture? Yes, the Lord will wipe away every tear, but I would beg to argue that there's going to be a lot of weeping, a lot of tears shed before the Lord finally wipes all tears away. This reunion. There's a mother at New Hope who had a reunion like this after 50 years. She had not seen her son since... He was born and given up for adoption. Her testimony in brief is this, and I want you to see the picture of this reunion. Here it is. Uh, The first time I had been allowed to see my son just before I went (laughs) to court to release him for adoption, he was presented to me, swaddled in a blanket and held up on the other side of a very small window. I was not allowed to touch him, and I never heard him cry. Could you imagine that, moms? 48 and a half years later. God answered my prayers and I found my son who agreed to correspond with me with with notes. Our letters were long intense, and tense, were, and his were filled with compassion for me. It was such an unexpected blessing, she writes. God had forgiven me as I asked. God had been there all along, and now I knew my son was still alive and well. Last year in July, the time finally came to meet him just a couple months before his 50th birthday. My son and daughter-in-law came to my door. They were both crying. The first words he wanted to tell me, thank you for my life, I melted right there on the spot. It was the most phenomenal hug I ever gave or got, that embrace was repeated a time or three. Isn't that true? Could you imagine the weeping? Listen, listen, here's the summary of her testimony uh, in brief. I found my son. Now I knew my son was alive. They were crying. I melted. Most phenomenal phenomenal hug I ever gave or got. God brought my son back to me. How many would say that's how Jacob was feeling? And this is the embrace of the heaven, the reunion that awaits us all. When we embrace one another again. beautiful the joy of resurrection and we will weep a good while god gives precious promises but how many know that even with promises life is still hard how many know that how many life is still hard number two the end of chapter 46 and chapter 47 begins to list harsh conditions of the time The family's now reunited, 70 Jewish people are living in Egypt, now they are in exile, they're foreigners in a foreign land, they're refugees, they're given the best of the land, Goshen, but life is hard, famine presents massive difficulties on all the people, there's no food whatsoever except for that which has been stored up by Joseph to last seven years. It is a reminder that even when we are blessed by God with His promises, which are rich and beautiful and very precious, even when we are blessed with promises, we are not always shielded from the hardships of life. We are not always shielded from hardships. And the hardships of these next five years would affect the Egyptian and the Jewish people alike. We see that there's a hostile world. It was time for Joseph to introduce his dysfunctional family to his boss. (laughs) This is an interesting meeting. And so what follows is kind of a don't-do-anything-stupid speech on etiquette. (laughs) Joseph gathers his brothers together. This is a don't-do-anything-stupid etiquette speech. Listen, you're going to meet the highest ruler of the entire world. Don't-do-anything-stupid speech. And he tells his brothers exactly what to say. Much like parents would tell their kids before Thanksgiving dinner, don't do this and do this, right? Here's what Joseph says to his brothers. When Joseph, or when, he says, when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, uh, your servants have been keepers of livestock uh, from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every, she- this, this is so key, it's just a one-liner, but it's so key. For every shepherd, what? is an abomination to the Egyptians. <laughs> five brothers were selected out of the 11, and they're presented to Pharaoh, and they, Pharaoh said to his brothers, what's your occupation? The five brothers got it. They said, well, we're servants. We're, your servants are shepherds. It's a big deal. I find it noteworthy that God's people identify in an occupation that is viewed as an abomination to the world. They identify in the very position that is viewed as lowly, poor, and despised. It's, an ab- it's like the world is like, ah, oh, I want you to try it someday. If you ever want to kill the mood at the office party or kill the conversation on the airplane, when the question comes up, what is it that you do for a living? I want you to do something for me. Ready? Just just lie. Just one time in your life, I want you to lie. I want you to look at them. and This is a mood killer. I want you to say, I'm a pastor. <laughs> you watch. You watch. You, you're laughing. I've lived it. And I have stopped saying it, not because I'm ashamed of God, but I'm telling you, there is something, there's a label on the whole occupation, if you will, that is associated with it, that the world is like, huh, it's end of conversation. It's a mood killer. And here the people of God are to identify with an occupation that Joseph literally tells them it's an abomination to the world. God's people are viewed as lowly, despised. The world does not consider God's people as strong or mighty or wise, but as weak, lowly, and foolish. Did you hear this past week about uh, the 26-year-old missionary from Washington who was killed in India? He was shot by arrows by a tribal community in India. And here was a a letter that he had written to his parents, uh, November 13th or 16th. This is a letter that he wrote. John is his name from Washington. He just died. He entered eternal glory. He said, you guys might think I'm crazy and all this, but I think it's worthwhile to declare Jesus to these people. Why does this beautiful place have to have so much death here? I hope this isn't one of my last notes, but if it is, to God be the glory. Isn't that powerful? John identified with an occupation that was viewed as lowly, despised, and hostile to the world. He was not received welcome but he had the promise of heaven 1 Corinthians says that God chooses what is low and despised in the world to confound the strong you might be an abomination to the world but you are treasure to the God of the universe I think it's significant that the first Noel you're going to sing that song someday soon I'm sure the first Noel the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay. I think it's significant that the greatest news of history was shared with the lowly, the weak, and the despised. And I also think it's significant that Jesus came and he identified himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He identifies with an occupation that is not high and lofty in the world's eyes, but is low, weak, and despised. But God chooses what is weak in this world to confound the strong. He is the true and better shepherd. Is it any wonder that the world is still hostile to us, since we too, like Israel, are foreigners in a foreign land? We are considered strangers and outcasts. We identify with those people that are considered an abomination to the world, and yet we align ourselves with the King of Heaven who views us with love and mercy. Not only was the world hostile, hostile but the years were painful. The years were painful. How would you summarize life? If you had to summarize life just in a, in a one sentence, one phrase, would you say life is short, life is hard, eat pizza, life What? what, you know, What's the one phrase you would use to summarize life? After his five brothers uh, uh, meet Pharaoh, Joseph wants to introduce his daddy. Uh, so he brings daddy in. Now imagine, 130 years old, he's got the walker, he's got the limp. Remember that? From the Lord who touched his hip socket. I mean, he's, got, he's, he's slow and he meets and Here it is. No, put that back up. Sorry, I was getting there. And Pharaoh wants to know one thing. He looks at him. How old are you? I mean, this is like old father time meets young upstart ruler, and Pharaoh's like, how old are you, man? And Jacob says this. This is the interaction between the ruler of the universe at the time and this old man time. He says, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Here's his phrase. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. This is a man of God. Side note, isn't it interesting that even at 130, we we would say that's old, right? That's a lot of years. Isn't it interesting that as you near the end of your life, you look back and you say, where did it go? Where did it go? 130 years or your age, 40 or 50 or 80, whatever you... You can look back on life, and, and, and it brings blessings, doesn't it? I mean, there, there's high points of joy and laughter and, 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 and just celebration. Uh, I think of Pastor Rick, right? Pastor Rick, here's a picture of Pastor Rick. Uh, and uh, they just had this uh, beautiful, beautiful thing happen last week. Look at there, Pastor Rick, Grandpa Rick, right? Just a beautiful moment. Beautiful moment as, as a grandpa welcomes a grandbaby into the world. Or I think of uh, Mark Polzing who came uh, from our Bel Air campus. Hi, Mark and Beulah, greetings to you. Uh, Mark who came 89 years old and he came to share with us men a few weeks ago uh, at, uh, at the church about his 89 years of life, 69 years of marriage. Such joy, such joy. Mark and Beulah who have endured incredible seasons of joy, as well as endured sufferings and losses and the death of a teenage daughter. One day this couple will weep a very long while as they embrace their daughter who they lost so many years ago. So when we stand on the elderly side of life and we look back, there's joys, isn't there? But there's sorrows. And Jacob says, few and evil Have been my days. I think he looks back and he sees the carnage of life. Jacob at 130. He looks back and he says, Man, my parents were messed up. So bad favoritism between mom and dad, and the whole created a web of dysfunction. I grew up with a brother who hated me, and I hated him. He's dealing with the death of a spouse, Rachel, who he loved. His own kids deceived him for 22 years. His eldest son betrayed him. He has a physical ailment that he suffered with for decades. And he tells the ruler of the known world, few and evil have been my days. Painful years. In the midst of the pain, I want you to see beauty. Both on the front side of having entered the room And also now as he leaves the room, Jacob does something as a representative of God Almighty. He prays a blessing for Pharaoh. You see the contrast? Painful life. But he has not lost hope in the God of the universe. Take a look at this verse. As he leaves the room, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. It's not just a Hail Mary type thing. This is a blessing. Pharaoh prays divine blessing upon this ruler who knows nothing about the God of Israel. He blesses him, and it says he went out from his presence. It's such a simple verse, but he is acting as God's ambassador to bless the nations. Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. This is what God had promised his granddaddy, Abraham that he would give him land and children, and that he would bless the nations through Abraham. And here is the grandson, now in a meeting with the ruler of the universe, praying a blessing upon him. It is as if the God of the universe is using Jacob as his ambassador to bless the nations through him. When we were in India, I want to give you a picture of this. When we were in India... One of the guys I I traveled with, Leighton, we were at an adult literacy program and he met uh, this lady, Old Lady Time. uh, And we have a picture of that moment. Uh, uh, Her name in English means lovely. Lovely. Look at that. And lovely prayed a blessing upon Leighton and Chelsea that they would have 12 children. (laughs) Isn't that funny? When Leighton and Chelsea came back from that adult literacy program, they were beaming, they were glowing, and they told us all about lovely, this blessing from lovely, that they would have 12 children. And I'm telling you now, what happens? is that the lesser had blessed the greater. In the world's eyes, the lesser had blessed the greater, but then what happens is this. He begins to testify, and now I testify to you. I think that this blessing of Pharaoh was a big deal. Elderly folks, let me have a word with you. Don't waste your calling. There's power in an elderly person, man, woman, who bestows a blessing upon those that they come in contact with. As you ascertain and, decide, and, and figure out your Ephesians 2.10 mission, your Ephesians 2.10 mission is that God of the universe has prepared good works for you to do. He has prepared good works for you to do. As you discover what your Ephesians 2:10 mission is, don't miss the fact that God's great desire is to bless the nations through you. It's to bless people. Yes, our days may be few and evil and painful and difficult, but there's a great God of the heavens who desires to bless people through you. Painful years. Also, we see groaning of creation. Verse 13, just briefly, just says that the land was languishing by reason of famine. The world was filled with groanings and pain. Just think of it like Michigan football, groanings, just pain. And it was enslaving debt. The rest of the chapter, almost all of chapter 47 is this enslaving debt. They're in survival mode. The entire world is in survival mode. The Egyptians, the Jewish folks who were in, in Egypt at the time, they began to depend upon the government uh, for everything. They had money. They took what money they had and they bought the food. The next year they were out of money and no food. And so they took their resources. And, and so they sold all of their resources in order to get food. And then they had nothing left. They had no money, they had no resources. All they had was land and their own bodies. And they went to Egypt, to the Egyptian government, they said, buy us, buy us and our land. Put those verses back up. We, We pick this up now when they're so impoverished that they say, so Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them, from one end of Egypt to the other. You can take that down for now. Imagine life so destitute that you became completely dependent on the government for absolutely everything. Imagine it. Money, resources, everything gone. And then all of a sudden you got nothing left except your own bodies and so you're like, I'll be your servant. just." and the whole land became the governments. What Egypt does next in Joseph is they set up what's in essence a works progress administration of the 1930s. Uh, only a few of you would be old enough to remember the WPA of the 1930s, where the government institutes policy to kind of get people back to work, and, and so they give people seed to sow into the ground. <coughs> and they create a system of taxation. If there's anything the government's good at, it's taxation. They give the people seed, plant it, and when it comes to harvest, you're to give one-fifth of it back to Pharaoh, and you can keep four-fifths to yourself. It's one-fifth taxation, 20% taxation. Ironically, to this very day in Egypt, I I was wondering this this week, so I looked it up, and taxation in Egypt is still 20 to 22%. One-fifth still goes back to Pharaoh. And some of you are like, hey, that's a great deal. I'll take the 20%, you know, day." But 20% goes back to Pharaoh. But the people are okay with this because their lives were at stake. Now we can put those verses back up. Here's their response then to Joseph because this was not a, a man in a hard position of, of, of enforcing the people into debt. It said, look at the bottom, They said to Joseph, you have saved our, what, lives. May it please the Lord. We will be servants. They were were ecstatic about this because he saved their lives. The Lord, here it is again, was blessing the nations through his people. The Lord in Egypt had raised up a deliverer. The name they gave him? The Egyptians, zephanath Panea, which loosely translated kind of means savior of the world. And when the Lord sent his son, Jesus, the Lord would send a true and better savior of the world who would rescue and deliver his people from their sins. And just as Egypt was ecstatic about the fact that they could be servants of this man because he saved their lives, how much more should we rejoice that God has sent a savior of our souls. With that said, the end of chapter 47 ends with the land of promise ahead. Uh, Old man time is now living into his glory years. He lives 17 more years, okay? So 17 years he lives in this land of Egypt as he begins to watch God blessing his people. Picking up at verse 27, uh, it says this about uh, Jacob. It begins the incubation period in Egypt uh, as, as his people begin to multiply. These 70 people from Israel now begin to multiply and incubate like crazy over the next 200 years. It says Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen. They gained possessions in it. They were fruitful. They multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. How many have heard of Moses? Just raise your hands real quick. Moses would come on the scene 200 years later, and from everything that statistics and analysis tells us is that this people of God went from 70 at this time to millions of people. God was blessing his people, and he was answering his promise that he was going to make Jacob into a great nation. Is God faithful? But before Jacob dies, he calls his son Joseph. This is a final will and testimony. This is a living will moment. This is a moment where Jacob gives his son Joseph power of attorney. This is his last five wishes. This is his advanced directive. Jacob calls his boy Joseph. In verse 29 through 31, he has one final request. One request. When the time drew near that Jacob must die, he called his son Joseph and said, If I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh. <laughs> don't get all weird about that. That's like, it's like a handshake, okay? Uh, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly with me and truly with me. Do not bury me in what? Egypt. Don't, don't bury me here, but let me lie with my fathers. Bury me there. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He, Joseph, answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. (laughs) How many folks like you know, you're getting your final will ready. You're like, listen, I'm serious about this. I'm serious. Swear to me, he says. And he swore to him. And then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. He didn't die yet. We'll get back to Jacob next week. But this is a moment of his final wishes. And in this moment, his eyes are fixed on the promised land. I believe that his mind went back 17 years earlier to that great promise from the Lord. I will be with you. I will go with you. I will make you into a great nation. And what is it? And I will bring you back again. I think in this moment, Jacob is looking towards the promised land. He remembers the tamarisk tree. He remembers the covenant promises of God. And he tells his son, Joseph, I want to be buried there where God's presence is. For the Old Testament saint, for the Jewish people, this is so critical. They had the hope of heaven. Death was not the end. It was a doorway to their eternal dwelling. The preservation of the body and the placement even of their bones was significant because it looked ahead to the promise of God. He's the hope of glory, the hope of your eternal dwelling. He's the hope of resurrection. Evil would be overcome by good. God would raise the dead. He would establish his kingdom and his kingdom would be forever. And Jacob's final wish is bury me there where God is. Bury me there. That's the land where God promised And for the New Testament saint, it is no different. It is the same hope. We have our eyes set on a true and better land of promise where there's a true and better tamarisk tree called the tree of life. Revelation chapter 22 talks about it. And the leaves of its tree are the healing of the nations. Isn't that beautiful? There's a woman at New Hope whose dad uh, recently passed away. And as he looked into eternal glory he had a dream and the lord woke him up enough to be able to communicate that dream and then he died 32 hours later here was the dream of this man of a lady at new hope when my dad awoke from a nap he recalled his dream in the dream god had a big eraser god asked what god or dad asked what god was doing god replied i'm erasing your sins My dad looked at us and said, and there were a lot of them. Few and evil, right? As God was erasing vigorously, dad was holding a can of reasoning. This is in the dream, which represented all the reasons we explain the bad things we do and justify our actions. God looked at dad as he was erasing sins and said, I don't need those anymore. You can do away with those too. 32 hours later, dad died. As I contemplated dad's dream, it struck me. Sins are recorded, yes, but in pencil. (laughs) They can be erased by God when and upon repentance. The father waits till the last minute to give us time to repent and then goes to work erasing those sins. Amen. Would you bow your heads uh, as Tim comes up? I think as Jacob approached death, he was clinging to the vision that he had of God's promise. He longed for the day when he would see his father face to face. Here is the man who had embraced his own son, and they wept for quite some time. But I think Jacob, in his older age, looked towards heaven, and he longed for the day. He longed for that day when he would embrace his father, his heavenly father. On that day, he knew that his days, though few and evil, would be transformed by this God of glory who erased all sins and he would stand face to face with this God who would welcome him into his eternal glory and this is why Jacob said bury me there where God dwells when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be right would you uh, sing with us Pastor Rick when we all What a day of rejoicing that will be When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory Father, we thank you for this uh, day. We thank you for the true and better land of promise. We thank you for this great big God that you are, this heavenly Father who welcomes us into your eternal glory this place where dads and daughters unite, this place where mothers and sons, but most importantly, this day when we are buried and we enter into eternal glory with the hope of resurrection, the hope of meeting you face to face, with our sins erased by the God who erases our sins vigorously, and there are a lot of them. But we thank you, God. May In the meantime, Lord, would you use us to bless the nations, help us to represent you well as ambassadors of yours doing the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Bless your people, we pray today in Christ's name.